Well, it's, you know, like one of the truths is, where, where do you think trust begins with? Begins with you, <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, and so that if you want to build trust with somebody, you have to first reach out and, and trust them. You know, there's always a, there's always a risk in, in that, but constantly a big message in the whole book is that effective leadership is about we, not me. And uh, that's how you serve them. That's how you Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, we've got Ken Blanchard. Ken, thanks for doing this. Well, good. It's good to be with you, Jess. So for anybody who doesn't know you, which would seem a little bit surprising in business for me, I think as a real audiobook nerd myself, <laughs> I've come across you all over the place for years. But I think a couple statistics that maybe might uh, impress some people is I understand you've written over, or written or co-authored over 65 books. Is that correct? Yeah, that's what they, they claim. My mother used to say, why don't you write a book by yourself? Because I've only written two by myself, one on golf. So many people helped my golf game. I didn't know who to write it with. And then my spiritual journey. But the rest are all co-authored because I, I, I love to learn. So I've really had some wonderful co-authors, including Norman Vincent Peale, who wrote The Power of Positive Thinking, and and Colleen Barrett, who took over presidency of Southwest, you know, when Herb stepped down, and Truett Cathy, who founded Chick-fil-A, and, and Jimmy Blanchard, who built the Synovus to be the number one company, Fortune 500, and Gary Ridge from from the and then plus colleagues and friends that that I've uh, had fun working with. And uh, Amazon named you one of the top 25 best-selling authors of all time. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's all really amazing, you know, because interesting, when I was in graduate school at Cornell getting my doctor's degree, my Faculty said, if I wanted to be at a university, I should be an administrator because I couldn't write. And I found out later on they they could understand it, you know, and they like it more esoteric. And all I remember one essay I was writing for a professor and they wanted some analogies in it. And one of the analogies I said is that it went over like a pregnant high jumper. And when he had my paper, he said, please, let's not be facetious. So I had to look facetious up. <laughs> so, but it was, it was really fun because my first job, I was at Ohio University as a assistant to the dean of the College of Business there. And But when I got there, he said, Ken, I want you to teach a course. And I had never thought about teaching because if you don't publish, you perish. He said, I don't care anything about that. But Paul Hersey had just arrived as chairman of the management department. He put me in there to teach a basic course, which I didn't have any trouble with because I had done my doctoral dissertation on Fred Fiedler, who was the first situational leadership theorist. And and after a couple of days or a week, I said to Margie, my wife, this is what I ought to be doing. This teaching's fun. <laughs> she said, what about the uh, writing? I said, I don't know. We'll figure something out. So I heard Hersey taught a great leadership course. So I asked him, this is in December 66, if I could sit in his course. Next semester, he said, nobody audits my course. You want to take it for credit, you're welcome. And I thought, that's interesting. I had a P 
PhD and he didn't. He's making me courses, take his course for credit. So I told Margie and she said, is he any good? She said, I said, he's supposed to be great. She said, well, get your ego out of the way and take his course. <laughs> and so I had to convince the registrar to let me in because I already had a PhD. And so I took his course and wrote the papers. And in June 67, Paul comes into my office and says, Ken, I've been teaching leadership for 10 years. I think I'm better than anybody. And they want me to write a textbook, but writing's not my real great forte. And I've been looking for a good writer like you. Would you be willing to co-author it with me? Because he had read my papers. And I said, well, we should, we should be a great team. You can't write, and I'm not supposed to. Let's do it. And that's in his 10th edition now, <laughs> the management wow. of organizational behavior. So it's, life is what happens to you when you're planning on doing something else. God has some plan for you if you ever find out what it is. <laughs> uh, well, I'm excited to talk about your new book. I mean, you're probably most... Well, you're probably most well known for The One Minute Manager. And well, for anybody who hasn't actually read that one, how, how would you give an overview of that book? Well, uh, I met Spencer Johnson at a cocktail party in San Diego, and he wrote children's books. He wrote the, you know, uh, the uh, whole book on the value tales, the value of courage, the story of Jackie Robinson, the value of determination, the story of Helen Keller. And he and his wife wrote these and sold millions of copies. And so we were at this cocktail party, and my wife, Margie, met him first and hand carried him over and said, you guys ought to write a children's book for managers. They won't read anything else. <laughs> so he was working on a one-minute scolding at the time on how to discipline kids. So I invited him to a seminar I was doing the next week in town, and he came and sat in the back and laughed. He came running up at the end. He said, forget parenting. Let's do the one-minute manager. <laughs> and since, you know... I was kind of a storyteller, and he was the children's book writer. We decided to write a parable, and there hadn't been a parable in management. There had been the you know, Jonathan Livingston Seagull and the Littlest Prince and stuff like that. So we ended up writing this little parable book about three secrets. The first is one-minute goal setting. All good performance starts with clear goals, you know. And then once the goals are set, you ought to wander around and see if you can catch them doing something right and give them a one-minute praising and... And then if people do something wrong, initially we said, give them a one-minute reprimand, you, you know, where you tell them what they did wrong and what they needed to do. We've changed that. We rewrote the book to modernize it a little bit because it was a little too top-downy from the 1982 and changed it to one-minute redirects, which is more consistent with the young people who uh, want to have side-by-side -side leadership, not top-down leadership. So it's, it's been, a, been an interesting journey. Uh, journey. So I've written a lot of parables. It, it, it's interesting with, you know, I took, used to be mergers and acquisitions at Citigroup. Then I ran a, a private investment fund. But after 2008, I took a break from finance for a bit and moved down to Utah to work for a group called the Arbinger Institute. And do you know their book, Leadership and Self-Deception? What's interesting is Terry Warner is just absolute hero of mine. And some of his other works have impacted me more personally, but that parable from leadership and self-deception is it's so consumable it's spread all over the world i think they've sold maybe two million copies of that one and it's just like you said it's simple and so people are willing to get started on it that's right yeah too many books are too complicated and they're too long you know <laughs> and uh, so it's a really fun i've written a couple longer books but they've been reading books and i make sure the articles are short so people don't get 
consumed by an article. It can't be more than seven pages, six or seven pages. But it's it's fun how things go in life. And, and so but this book uh, is uh, really exciting. It's called The Simple um, Truths of Leadership, 52 Ways to Become a Servant Leader and Build Trust. And I did it with Randy Connolly, who works with us, who's become one of the top people in the country on trust. And, and it's really simple to read because 52 ways to there. And like on one page, it'll say a concept like in servant leadership, the key to developing people is to catch them doing something right. And then the next page, facing it, first starts off and says why people don't use it. So for, for example, I ask people all the time, how do you know whether you're doing a good job? The number one response I get is nobody's yelled at me lately. You know, no news is good news. The number one leadership style is still seagull management around the world, you know. <laughs> get an assignment and your boss disappears until you make a mistake and then they fly and make a lot of noise, dump on everybody and fly up. <laughs> and then at the bottom of the page we say how to put the simple secret, how to, how to uh, put common sense into common practice. And so uh, it's uh, it's kind of fun so that people can read it with their team one a week or take us five sections of it. So it's, it's, it's fun. We're having a lot of fun with it and been on a lot of podcasts already about, about it, you know, because it really covers what we've been teaching for over 40 years. Well, I was really excited about, I don't think you know this, but when your people reached out, I immediately said yes, because I have listened to your book, Servant Leadership in Action, over and over and over. It's almost like on repeat for me. Yeah. I I have recommended it to so many CEOs and leaders in special operations, in the military. Uh, that book, I, like this is a thank you from me to you for having that book written and all the work that you did to make that happen and what you wrote in it. Uh, it had a profound impact on my life and my family and my business. Isn't that great? Yeah. That was fun because I got all the top name people in the field to write short articles. I mean, they are, none of the articles are all that long. And people said, how did you get that? Because get them to contribute the Simon Sinek's and the Brene Brown's and Marshall Goldsmith's and, you know, uh, you name them, they're in, in there. And because I'm not a competitive guy, you know, I, I like to build them up too, you know. I don't act like I'm better. My mother always said to me when I was young, she was a great philosopher, don't you act like you're better than anybody else, but don't let anybody else act like they're better than you. God didn't make any junk. There's a pearl of goodness in every human being. Look for it. So I've been digging for a long time. And so those folks are all colleagues and friends rather than competing who's, who's brighter, who does the best stuff, because I well, promote them. I think for me, it's a little extra meaningful too. Even though your intros are very short, it gives such a context that I I can't wait to read. Like after you've introduced them, like now I really want to know what they say. And I feel like that context was really helpful. Yeah, well, that's great. Well, appreciate it. That's been that was a fun book to fun book to write. Yeah. For me, you know, you talked about your wife telling you, you know, set your ego aside and go take the college course, right? Yeah. That book is incredibly effective at kind of doing the same thing to me of like, wake up, Jess, you know, mm -hmm. set your ego aside, let's focus. And so I'm really looking forward to this new one. What, what are the kind of teasers can you give us from the simple truths of leadership? 
Well, it's, you know, like one of the truths is, where, where do you think trust begins with? Begins with you, <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, and so that if you want to build trust with somebody, you have to first reach out and, and trust them. You know, there's always a, there's always a risk in, in that. But constantly a big message in the whole book is that effective leadership is about we, not me. And uh, that's how you serve them. That's how you build trust with them. And, and that, you know, we have a couple of sayings in our company that people just get a kick out of, like, none of us is as smart as all of us, you know, and one plus one is a lot greater than two, you know, and because and, we just really feel that that way. And so in our company, we, we kind of involve our people. We like, like today, we just, our son took over the presidency of our company right before COVID. <laughs> and he's done a great job, but he, he's just over communicate. So we have next, today and the next two mornings, we had over 200 people. We have about two, 225 or so around the world on, on Zoom. And Zoom has been a, an amazing thing. You know, I mean, talk about something positive from COVID. I mean, I never use Zoom, and now, now I'm not going to have to travel anymore. You know, you want me to speak? I'll Zoom in there for you. <laughs> and uh, so it's, but it's it's really fun to to see. And so he also sends out an email every week at the end of the week, which is he see when he took over, he said, I want to tell you my number one value is forthrightness. I'm going to tell you what I know, what I don't know, and what I wish I knew. And he does that every week and he's really built a lot of trust. In fact, this last year, we had the best year in the history of our company. Can you imagine? Congratulations. Yeah, the year before, of course, we were really hurting. We were down 30 or 40 percent, but we pulled everybody together and brought in some good high tech people because in 2000, you know, we were maybe do 20 or 30 online programs a month. We do eight or 900 a month now, you know, I mean, so it's... (laughs) Because people want the training, but they're not going to travel or yeah. go face-to-face. A question I have is, thinking about age, for instance, it seems like it seems like you've chosen not to get old. Like, you might be 82, but you've just chosen to serve and, and, and yeah. enjoy life and kind of like, it feels like you're like sharing Christmas all year long or something. That's right. Well, I, I wrote a book with Mort Shavitz, who was the head of the psych department at UC San Diego. He uh, passed away uh, recently, but my whole philosophy is called refire, don't retire. Make the rest of your life the best of your life. I'll never forget when Zig Ziglar turned 80, and I, Zig and I had done a bunch of stuff, fun programs together. He invited Margie and I to the 59th anniversary of his 21st birthday, you know. And so I called Zig. I was about 65 then. I said, are you going to retire? He said, there's no mention of it in the Bible except for Jesus, Mary, and David, a couple of other people. Nobody under 80 made an impact. He said, I'm refiring, not retiring. So he passed away before we published the book, and I dedicated the book to, to Zig. But So that's what I'm doing is I'm, I'm refiring. And, and I, I tell people, why would you want to retire if you love what you're doing? You know, and somebody says, you're writing another book? Yeah, why? That's fun, you know. <laughs> See if we can help people. You'll also get a kick. I got a movie coming out in April. I wrote a book with Wally Armstrong, who was a great golfer and teacher of golf, called The Mulligan. 
and and you know in golf, if you hit a bad shot off the first tee, they'll say take a mulligan. And so this book's about faith and and golf because Jesus is the greatest mulligan of all time. He keeps on giving you a second chance. And uh, so a guy who made quite a few films, he made did the Bobby Jones story and the Ultimate Gift, and he got a copy of this. He said we got to make a film out of this. And Pat Boone is the lead in the film. And Pat Boone is so excited. He's 87 years old and a great believer. And he's really excited about this uh, film that comes out in, in, in April, right around the Masters Golf uh, Tournament. And it's, it's going to be, be fun. It's a story about a, a uptight business guy who, you know, has just devoted his whole life to his work. And you've seen people like that and forgets his family and all. And he's been divorced for five years, hasn't talked to his son in years and and he gets to go to a conference to give a talk because he's supposed to meet a top manager from, from China for his company. And and uh, he gets down there at this Pro-Am golf tournament, and he draws Tom Lehman as his, his, his pro. And on the first hole, he's about ready to hit, and his caddy starts telling him where to hit it, and that annoys him. And he duck hooks it in the rough, and he's just playing terrible. Finally, the ninth hole... He kills a drive, hits a four iron about four feet from the cup, and if he knocks it in, it's a birdie for his team, and Lehman's down measuring it with him, and he gets up and hits it and leaves it short, and he breaks his putter over his knee and throws it into the sand trap. So everybody disappears, you know, and he's walking back to the car wondering, I just ought to leave, and Lehman's waiting for him. Wonderful line. He said, uh, Paul, we didn't talk that much the first nine. He said, but to be honest with you, you're not that good to get that mad. <laughs> and he said, I found that golf and life are a lot. We we started spelling golf spells game of life first, you know, because you get good breaks you don't deserve. You get good breaks you do deserve. You get bad breaks you don't deserve. You get bad breaks you do deserve. Sometimes you're playing better than you should and you got to deal with success. Sometimes you're playing worse than you should and you got to deal with failure all in four and a half hours, you know. And so Lehman says that if if you're having trouble out here in the golf course, I, I bet you're having trouble in your life. And he said, but there's an old guy that sits up in the up on the porch at the clubhouse. We call him the old pro. And he helps people deal with their life and golf. Go see him. And that's Pat Boone. And he's just amazing. So one day he goes to see Boone and Boone says, Paul, we're going to play a special round today. He said, you can take a mulligan on any shot you want. He said, I thought it was just for the first tee. He said, no, today you can take a putt over. You can do anything over. He said, this should be fun. In the beginning, he takes a lot of mulligans, takes a lot of mulligans. And after a while, he hardly takes any. And he shoots a 70. He's never even gotten near breaking 80. And the old pro sitting with him at the back of the 18th hole. He said, Paul, why do you think you played so well? He said, well, I realized if I had made a mistake, I would be forgiven. And I relaxed. And he said, well, how would you like to be forgiven the rest of your life? He said, that would be fabulous. What do I have to do? He's not about doing. He said, it's believing. He said, what, in what? He said, Jesus, don't get religious with me. He said, I'm not, but God sent Jesus down here to play the perfect round. Here's his golf cart, 18 birdies, you know. All you have to do is sign it as your own, and he'll be waiting on the first tee as your caddy, you know. And so it's a wonderful way to share faith in a really kind of a low-key but powerful way and Boone is just is so excited about about this, this film and it's really well done coming out in April so it'll be really fun to see the 
response. We've already got a theater, a thousand theaters that are going to show it for two days in April. And if it sells well, they'll, they'll open it up for other days. Oh, how exciting. I'm, I'm interested. Uh, a lot of times, you know, the media tells us if you're not a billionaire by 30, like Mark Zuckerberg, there must be something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. How old were you when you started the, the, your companies, the, the Ken Blanchard companies? Let's see. It was in 1979, and I was born in 39. So what would I be, 40 years old uh, then? Yeah. And uh, I had been a college professor for 10 years, and we had come out on this one-year sabbatical leave. And and after a while, we ran into a group called the Young Presidents Organization. Are you familiar with YPO? And they kind of adopted us, you know. And they said, what are you going to do at the end of the year? We said, we're going back to the university. They said, no, you're not. And they said, what do you mean? What are we going to do? You said, you're going to start your own company. And we said, we can't even balance our own checkbook. How are we going to do that? They said, we'll help you. And five YPO presidents from around the country volunteered to be our advisory board, one from Oregon, one from Illinois, one from Pennsylvania, one from Mexico City, and one from San Diego, flew out, took us to Vic Braden's tennis camp for three days and helped us you know, set up a vision, set of values and all, and, and stayed with us for quite a while as our advisory board. And now the company's like, you know, what, for almost 43 years old, and 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 uh, we couldn't even spell the word entrepreneur, and now we is one, you know, and uh, so it's uh, it's been quite a interesting interesting journey to to do that, and so that's that's how we got into this. And what what do you think? So many of us are discouraged to start something at 40 or 50 or 60. You know, I was I just uh, we've been cleaning out. How, books at our house during this thing to see because we got so many of them and I came across the power of positive thinking that Norman Vincent Peale uh, wrote and the first chapter is believe yourself you know uh, believe in yourself and you know I my books in recent years have done well but I haven't had a major popular bestseller in a while and and so my goal is to get the simple truths of leadership on the Amazon bestseller list and the New York Times but you know, I, I I just lack a little confidence because I haven't. And so here's this whole chapter on believe in yourself from Norman, you know, and says, you know, you keep on, you know, what it, what is your vision? Keep that vision in mind. Every time a negative thought comes in it, stop it and restate it, you know, and I can do all things through Christ. This strengthens me. And, and you know, it's so it's it's a, really is a interesting interesting thing because you got to constantly pump yourself up and and so but i'm just feel very blessed and my wife margie when we started our company was really obvious that she should be president she's much better at that kind of thing than i am she has a phd in communication and and so next year we'll not next year this june we'll be married 60 years how's that that's a pretty good that's an incredible accomplishment People say, how, how do you get a marriage to last that long? I said, all you do is marry your best friend. And Margie's my best friend, you know. And so it's really been been great. We got, you know, two kids and five grandkids. And so it's it's kind of a fun. And everybody works in the company, just about. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, we're, we're about up for part one of the interview. Can you leave us with one more nugget from the new book? Well, another, another nugget is don't act like you know what motivates other people. Ask them, you know, talk to them. What, 
what would make this more exciting for you? What what are you looking for down the road? Five year people are, oh, you know, then they'll think about leaving and all. No, you know, that's another one. When in doubt, confront, and when all else fails, try honesty. <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting you bring that up. Um, many, many episodes ago, we had a guy, CEO of a company called Chatbooks on the show. And he told the story about a boss he had like that. He had, he was working, it was before he went to Harvard, he was working at McKinsey. And somehow his boss found out that what he wanted was to get a transfer to the Paris office from the LA office. And that just didn't happen for first years, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so every assignment he got from his boss, they would sit down and and he would say, okay, how does this help you get closer closer to Paris? Paris? He says he'd work till two in the morning sometimes sometimes for that guy because he's really working for himself, you know? And it does have a storybook ending. He did get that transfer and he and his newlywed wife got to move to Paris a year later. But I found it uncommon, you know, that we don't hear that story very often that bosses take that much interest and, repeatedly reinforce it over time, you know? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's it, people just love it, you know, and and another one of our gems is, you know, that Colleen Barrett said that about, you know, people admire your skills, but they love your vulnerability as a leader, you know? And so when you have a group of people and you say, you know, we well, we got a task that we got to get to, I wish I had all the answers, I need your help, people don't say, why is that the manager? They say, this is going to be fun. <laughs> We're going to get involved. That's why side-by-side leadership is our approach now. Yeah, that's great. Well, uh, anybody who's listening to this after February 1st, 2022, you should be going to Amazon or audible.com, getting the audiobook, and everybody else should just pre-order it. Ken, anything you want to leave us with before we head off to, to episode part two here? No, I think this this is uh, fun, you know. Uh, you know, people say, "Don't you you like all these podcasts?" You're like, yeah, I just I love to talk people. I I really like people, and I'm always looking for the the pearl of goodness in them. That my mother always said. My father retired as an admiral in the navy, and I'll never forget. I won the president of the seventh grade in Nourishell, New York, and I came home and I'm all pumped up. And, and Dad said, "Now that you're president." Your leadership training begins. Don't ever use your position. Great leaders are great because people respect and trust them, not because they have power. And he showed me. He said it's a myth in the military. It's my way or the highway. He said, sure, in battle, somebody's got to call the shots. But if you act like you're a big deal with your men, they'll shoot you before the enemy. (laughs) So I had two great parents. Sounds like it. Let's, Let's talk more about your parents on part two.